Welcome to another edition of the NCBI podcast. I'm June Tinsley, Head of Communications and Advocacy with NCBI. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by Sheila McFarlane, um, who is originally from Scotland and now living in Donegal. Thank you very much, Sheila, for having for taking the time to have a chat with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Great, great, great. I look forward to, to hearing how the chat goes. Um, for the benefit of our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Well, uh, yes, as you said, I moved from Scotland about almost five years ago, and I now live in Kincasla in County Donegal. It's a very rural area. Um, quite some difficulties in adjusting to living here, but uh, I think I've pretty well settled now. Uh, I live with Gordon, my husband, and my granddaughter, Sophia, who's 14, and guide dog Bixby, who is very much in demand because I have optic atrophy. I was born with optic atrophy, so I don't have a lot of sight and I rely on him a lot to get me about from A to B. Excellent. I guess you, um, the, uh, the guide dog came with you or have you had the guide dog um, since you were just in Ireland? No, I have had two previous guide dogs, Helen and Faith. Unfortunately, Faith died from cancer about six months before we moved here. Ah. So I was without a guide dog when I came to Ireland, which made things very much more difficult. And I had over a year to wait when I got here. I had about 15 months to wait when I got here for a guide dog. Um, so that was quite a trying time, I have to say. And especially, as you say, in a quite a, a rural area, you're going to be relying on your, your dog That's, a lot to get out and yeah. about safely. Yeah, exactly. So I felt quite isolated and uh, a bit, well, more than a bit homesick, very homesick, because I missed I missed all my friends, family, and I also missed little Faith, who had died so suddenly. It was a, quite a sad time. Yes, I can imagine. Um, obviously, guide dogs are an, another member of the family. Indeed, yeah. Um, and they play such a, an important role in in supporting um, yeah, everybody um, in the family. That's right. Great. Uh, and I suppose um, you're you're a trained counsellor yourself. Yes, I am. Yeah. And can I ask, um, working with with clients uh, who have a vision impairment, what do you think is the the hardest aspect that they have to cope with? <clears throat> well. I don't specifically work with people with visual impairment, but I have had over the years one or two clients uh, who've been struggling with those kinds of difficulties. I would say, really, and I don't know if this answers your question, but I think for me, the biggest thing as a visually impaired person, counselling a visually impaired person, would be um, two things. One would be to avoid assuming that their primary issues are related to visual impairment um, because they may, visual impairment may not be what's foremost for them at that particular time. Yes. And secondly, and I suppose along the same lines, would be just um, being very attentive to what their primary issue is because um, I'm thinking of one client years ago who came with right in the middle of a marriage breakup 
Now, it would be very easy to see her situation from the point of view of her visual impairment. Uh, and it's important not to do that. It's important to see things from the client's visual, uh, the client's point of view, even although they never mentioned their visual impairment, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you already say, um, it's really just to um, meet the client where, where they're at. And I suppose the other thing is that um, there is a temptation to interpret someone else's visual impairment, if they should mention it as a, a, a presenting issue, from the point of view of your own visual impairment, what your needs are, what your needs have been, are there needs, are bound, you know, you may kind of fall into the trap of, are there needs similar? And that's quite dangerous, actually. And you need to really do your utmost to always stay within uh, the client's frame of reference, really. Yeah. And I, I suppose, uh, as you say, you've obviously worked with multiple clients over the years. Um, but from your own perspective and, and the network that you're within, um, do you feel that there's a, um, a few different challenges for someone who um, acquires a sight loss condition versus someone like yourself who's been vision impaired since birth? Ah, gosh, that's quite a difficult one. But but I think um, I think overall I would have to say yes because I think facing a crisis in midstream, as it were, um, when you've been used to living in a particular way and interpreting the world in a, a particular way, um, I think then losing your sight is very different. Um, I was diagnosed when I was two years old as having sight loss. And I was always, um, well, I always interpreted the world from a lack, my lack of sight. I learned about touch. I learned about colour. I experienced things in a particular way. Whereas a sighted person going blind would have that sighted experience, um, which is very difficult to to draw away from. And, you know, I've the deepest sympathy for people in later life who have to face the challenges of losing. So I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, there are probably, if we were to look into it, there are some challenges that are the same. Um, such as, for example, um, how you relate to people. I think sometimes born blind people and people who lose their sight can have a lot of difficulties relating to people because they want to appear to be a certain way. Um, and that puts a heavy burden on their shoulders unless they can overcome that and just um, be themselves, really, and be accepted for who they are. That's very, very true. Yes, exactly. Um, and I, I suppose why I was asking that question originally around um, the, the difference between someone who's um, acquires a sight loss condition uh, and the particular challenges they may face is around um, the, the sense of identity. Um, yeah, and yeah, definitely. The fact that uh, for an individual who is who has a sight loss condition from from birth, mm -hmm. um, as you rightly say, that is your world and that's your normal and, and you just navigate yeah. that world in, in that yeah. particular fashion. Yeah. Whereas for someone later in life, yeah. um, it, it can be um, a, more, a, a different challenge because of uh, it can nearly affect their sense of identity and the, their sense Definitely. of self. Yeah. 
yeah, absolutely. And they have to have to learn to interpret things in a totally different way, and that can be very tough. Um, and do you feel that there's any kind of um, difference? Uh, do other factors influence how they um, adjust to that situation, such as kind of like their age or where they're living or their kind of network of support or anything like that? Gosh, that's a difficult one. Um, it's very personal specific, I understand. Yeah, well, I, I had a lot of support from my parents who, um, you know, had never had a, a child with sight loss before, although I had uh, five brothers and sisters. Um, and they gave me a lot of support. And I, I was a very happy child and was taught, uh, you know, my mother, for example, taught me colour by using big uh, penny gobstoppers because I could see them. Oh, right. Um, but, gosh, I think I think family support is important. Um, I think there are much better services now, support services, than when, you know, I was a child. I think my parents would be saying that if they were alive today, that the services now for children and young people are much, much better. Um, sorry, what was your question? Can I go back to that? I, I suppose it was just more of a, a general comment um, mm -hmm. about how people um, it, who acquire a sight loss condition, how they, how they can kind of um, come to accept accept their circumstances. And I suppose it's it just yeah. from, from your perspective as being a, a counsellor, um, have you noticed anything that might have been a common thread? Admittedly, it's all very um, person specific how people go on this journey. But I suppose it was just more to inquire from your lens of, of being a counsellor. Yeah, well, um, I think if they can, if they can meet it straight on, head on, um, they've much more of a chance of overcoming all the difficulties quickly. I don't think, for example, to give a whole lot of practical advice like you know get this bit of equipment, get that bit of equipment is always what people need at that particular point at the point of diagnosis um, but trying to encourage the belief that they are the same person they haven't changed their circumstances have changed but they themselves are the same person um, might help but there can be a long process in doing that true true and achieving that exactly and as i said it's, it's different for everybody yeah, it is. Yeah, um, I, I, I was when I was looking at your your website, um, upcs. ie. Uh, yeah. I was in, intrigued <laughs> to read that uh, you're a, a fan of retail therapy. Oh, indeed. Um, <laughs> and I suppose I was just um, asking you, kind of, what are your favourite shops to to buy from, um, or have you visited any of NCBI's retail chain? Is there any stores nearby that you've, um popped into? Yeah, um, I visited the charity shop in Letterkenny and it's very nice. It's a very good charity shop. The people in there are very helpful. But in terms of uh, shops in general, I would say uh, probably Marks and Spencers is one of my favourites. And the reason for that is because I shopped there for years in Aberdeen in Scotland and I found the assistant so helpful and kind that, you know, we were on first name terms. 
over the years. They knew my guide dogs. They were always so helpful and kind that I think I would always rate Marks and Spencers as one of my uh, favourite stores. But I also like John Lewis. And unfortunately, we don't have John Lewis in in Ireland. True. And I really miss that, uh, you know, for uh, just all sorts of things, really. Uh, yeah, I think Marks and Spencers would top the list. Um, but John Lewis would be a, a quick, a close second. But we have some very good shops in this area. Um, and the ladies are very helpful and kind. Um, and again, we're, you know, I, I use, because we don't have many shops, say, in Dunlow, which is my nearest little town, uh, we do get to know the, the shops very well and they get to know us. Uh, and so they get to know what we need. But I do miss the shops in Scotland. <laughs> I really do miss the shops in Scotland. Edinburgh Woolen Mall as well. And of course, I also use, um, and always have used, the shopping channels, Ideal World and QVC. And uh, they give very good descriptions of the clothes they sell. Uh, so I think for any blind person, that would be a good uh, resource um, because they, they tell you about what colours will go with which. And if they've got, say, um, coordinates on the channel, say like blouses, skirts, trousers, they'll tell you now that I think that blouse would go really well with that, don't you? And so it's a good, yeah, it's a good way of getting clothes. Definitely. That's a, a very good tip, um, yeah. particularly if people aren't keen on or um, familiar with shopping online. Uh, I'm, I'm not really, I would have to get my granddaughter to help me with uh, shopping online, definitely. It's quite a tricky thing for a blind person to do. I'm not saying it's impossible because nothing is impossible if you want to do it. But for me, I'm not a techie, so I get some help. Well, uh, to be fair, the, the suggestion of the, the shopping channel is a, is a new one because it's um, something that, as you rightly say, as long as there's adequate descriptions, it yeah, can certainly that's right. um, assist you in choosing what you want to buy yeah that's right mm -hmm. yeah is there any much um is there greater delivery charges with kind of shopping channels or any of those kind of pitfalls yeah sometimes we've got to get things sent to the north um because there can be problems uh getting stuff over the border yes so, yeah. uh yeah there sometimes are more char charges or sometimes things lie for weeks and you wonder where they've got to and it's because they've got stuck somewhere and at the end they get a letter saying you'll have to pay 15 euro to get this over the border and whatnot so we often just use a, an address that we have in the north it's much easier yeah exactly um and to be fair that's a quite a, a common practice i believe yeah i think so yeah, yeah. um just to and i suppose just to for listeners to be mindful of those kind of things when using shopping channels or even shopping online. Yeah. Um, the, the delivery issues that can crop up. Yeah, that's right. It's a problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I suppose just to uh, conclude, Sheila, our chat, um, the question I ask all my guests really is, what one piece of advice would you give to another person who's been recently diagnosed with a sight loss condition? Gosh. <coughs> That is quite difficult um, because, you know, we often compare uh, sight loss to a grieving process. Um, often people are really grieving what they've lost. So it's not always appropriate to say, meet it head on. Um, 
you know, get out among people. I would say do what you can in that respect, but I think also um, you have to take it at the pace you can manage um, because it's a huge loss to lose your sight if you've had it and to make an adjustment to the world as it is now for you um, will take time. So it's not expecting too much too soon. Just take it at your own pace as far as you can. Take all the encouragement from people around you um, and don't get preoccupied with um, equipment and gadgets, although these are helpful. I don't say they're not, but they're not the first thing. They're not the first consideration in my view. Oh, wise words indeed, um, that people should take it at their their, their own pace um, and uh, obviously NCBI can assist when um, individuals are, are re yeah. ready to engage with us. That's uh, right, yeah. When you lose a loved one, you know, you can't um, hurry yourself through that process. You have to make the adjustment slowly. True, and true. In your own time. And to tap into whatever supports work for you at Absolutely. that time. Yeah, yeah. Great, Sheila, thank you. Um, and I suppose for the benefit of our listeners, if anybody wishes to contact NCBI services, feel free to contact our info line 1-800-911-250 or alternatively um, jump onto our website ncbi.ie. All previous uh, episodes of these podcasts are available on podcasting platforms such as um, Apple, Spotify. Uh, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel um, and they're also available on the NCBI website. But for now, Sheila, I'd just like to say thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat with me. Thank you. Thank you.